You're listening to Mount Carmel Baptist Church's weekly Sunday worship service message at 11 a.m. Mount Carmel is located in Demarest, Georgia. To learn more, visit mtcarmeldemarest.com or facebook.com forward slash mtcarmeldemarest. Thanks for listening. Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 12, and then verses 3 through 5. I want to preach to you this morning a message I've simply entitled, Women of Grace. Women of Grace. There's no denying, whether negatively or positively, whether intentional or unintentional, that moms have a huge impact on their children. Research released this past Tuesday shows that children, that for children, mothers, more than any other category of people in the home, fathers, grandfathers, grandmothers, that mothers are seen as the confidence, the providers of support, and the drivers of faith information. Let it be said, there are many sitting in this congregation today that they're here for the better because of a mom. At the same time, I understand that today may be hard for many. There are many of you who are going through the struggles of having children. There are some of you moms who are present today. This is your first Mother day, Mother's Day without a child. There are children here that this is their first Mother's Day without their mom. I had an email sent to me this week from one of our precious members of our church family, and she wrote this, and I thought it was very poignant. She says, my mother passed away some 35 years ago. Even now, Mother's Day is hard to celebrate. It's the truth. Mother's Day is hard to celebrate, and I can't say this as a mother, but I can maybe sympathize as a father. I'm sure that motherhood itself is even harder. <laughs> is there any help being the kind of mom or woman or man for that matter that God longs for us to be? Is there any help? Titus chapter 2 verses 11 through 12 answers that question emphatically. Let's read verse 11. The Apostle Paul to young pastor Titus says this, For the grace of God has appeared. Notice how grace, something we kind of think of abstract, is personified here. It's come onto the scene. The grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. Let's just pause for a moment. The Apostle Paul, when he talks about the appearing of grace... There is no doubt, you can read his letters and in the context of the book of Titus, he is in reference to one person who personifies being full of grace and truth, and that is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He says, Jesus Christ has come in his appearing, in his birth, 
his perfect life and ministry, in his death on the cross for our sins, and in his resurrection power, he has brought God's goodness, God's grace down to all of mankind and womankind, and he is offering salvation to anyone who will receive it. That if you'll turn from your sin, if you'll be sick of your sin this morning and despise it and turn to Christ and embrace Him by simple faith, you can receive the grace of God in your life. Your sins can be forgiven and erased from the mind of God and you can receive eternal life and spend eternity in heaven with God forever. But that's not all grace does. Look at verse 12. What's it say there? Teaching, teaching or instructing us to deny godlessness and worldly lust and to live in a sensible, righteous, and godly way in the present age. You need to go ahead and write this down. For Paul, grace is not a pass. It is a power. Grace is not a pass, it is a power. And you say, what do you mean by that, Josh? See, many times when we think about grace, we think about God just overlooking sin, okay? God's going to kind of keep his head turned away from our lives, and we can continue going on in sin. And he goes, if that's your understanding of God's grace, you've misunderstood. He said, because grace, he says this in an unusual way, has, has a way or something to teach us or instruct us. Grace hasn't just come to cover or cleanse us from all of our sins that has marred up our relationship with God. It's not just done that. Grace is a power that we've received in our lives through the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit has something to teach us. He has something He wants to change in us. He has something He wants to shape us to be. And here's the beautiful thing. It's not something in the abstract that God's grace wants to change how you live as a man, as a woman, as a father and a mother. No human parent, no human whatsoever is adequate for the task that God desires for them. And so all of us, listen to me, I don't care who you are, you may think you're completely self-sufficient and you don't need anybody's help. You're wrong with gentleness and respect. You need God's grace. You need God's help. You need Christ in you, the hope of glory. You need the Holy Spirit dwelling, living on the inside, shaping your mind and heart, and making you become the person that God delights in. And this is not just for the glory of God, but it is ultimately for your joy as well. So if you trust in Jesus, if you trust Him to save you, if you've trusted Him and received God's grace, what does it look like? How should we look different? And today, I want to address the women in our church what do women of grace look like? People who confess to know Jesus and have his Holy Spirit living on the inside. Let's look at what it says in verse 3. Titus chapter 2, verse 3. Now this is Paul's words. 
right? In the same way, older women. Now, I'm going to go ahead and tell you something so you're not mad at me. Paul's going to make a slight difference between the older women and younger women. You select the category you find yourself in. <laughs> I'm not going to give a hard age this morning. But he says this. Older women, these are women who've received God's grace. So if you're not a believer, I, I don't mean this mean, I, I think you're completely incapable of becoming this. You need God's help to become what he's about to say. Older women are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers, not slaves to excessive drinking. They are to teach what is good. The first thing that women of grace look like, and write this down, the first thing is they look like priests. Now I'll explain that. They look like priests. You see this first word, reverent, to be reverent in behavior? It comes from Paul combining two words, literally the word temple and the word fitting. They are to be temple fitting. Or you can put this in your notes, their behavior should be becoming of a priest serving in God's temple. So older ladies, you are to be a person. What does a priest do? A priest represents God to the people, and then through prayer does what? Intercedes on behalf of the people to who? To God. That's what a priest does. So notice this. Your behavior has a priestly function. If you claim to know Jesus Christ with the Holy Spirit living on the inside, your life should look different. It should look becoming of the temple. It should look suitable to the sacred. And then I can tell you, if you're an older lady in here, are you lifting up younger men, younger women, and others in our church and in the world? Are you interceding on their behalf to God? Remember, context, context, context. Paul is speaking to women where they are here in this place called Crete. Older women who had this priestly behavior, this reverent behavior, would avoid the next two features that he lists. And when if they avoided the next two features he lists, they would stand out completely in Crete. The number two, notice what it says here. They are not slanderers. Write that down. They are not slanderers. The word slander comes from the Greek word diabolos, which is the term for the devil. Ladies and men, we're just as susceptible when we tell laws, make false accusations, and spread gossip, whether it's true or untrue, we're doing the work of Satan for him. How can a priest who speaks to God for people run around speaking about people to other people? They cannot slander if they're going to have this priestly function. Ladies, I want to submit this to you. When gossip comes to you, has it met its dead end? Stops here. Look at this third feature of these older ladies. They are not slaves to excessive drinking. Write it down. Slaves to excessive drinking. This metaphor of enslavement is what we call addictions. They're not to be addicts 
or alcoholics. Alcoholism was a severe problem in Crete, and it's a severe problem in our culture today. But there's good news. We don't need to despair. Women of grace filled with the Holy Spirit can have self-control over their emotional lives and their physical appetites. I sincerely believe it, or I wouldn't preach it. I want you to know that God's grace can help you overcome those addictions not if you'll resolve yourself to try harder but if you'll come in utter dependence and surrender saying I can't do this and bring it into the light God's grace will help you but then the crowning kind of achievement of an older woman who is priestly in her behavior is, is not just what she doesn't do she's not a gossip or she's not an alcoholic, but the fourth thing is they are to teach what is good. Older women grow in grace, not for the sake of just growing in grace. They don't do it in isolation away from others. Their main, although not their ultimate objective, but a chief purpose is for them to teach and advise younger women. Let me tell you something, younger women. How many of you want a young male pastor telling you what to do in your home? Uh-uh. You're not going to offend me. What I love about Paul's counsel here is he's saying, Titus, it's your indirect responsibility to make sure that older women are discipling younger women, but ultimately, where does the locus of the burden lie? Older women, you are responsible to teach and pass the faith on to younger women. You don't want a man telling a woman how to run her home. Trust me, we have no clue. Amen, men? (laughs) There's too much doing this already. Can I, side note, I told somebody the day, I said, if a man runs a home, he needs like a recliner, a TV, and a fridge, and that's a home for a man. You ask him if he's any different than me. I pretty much, that's not good for Scotland. It's not good. I want to ask our older ladies, those who categorize themselves this way, how much of your time do you spend mentoring young teens and women about marriage, motherhood, and the home? And then I got a word for young women. You've got to be ready to receive it. I know sometimes, let's just be honest, you don't want that person grabbing you by the cheek going, let me tell you something about how you do this. But if not them, who? Who? The kind of instruction that God has inspired, okay, that you need is ultimately to be channeled through these godly women of grace in the church. Older ladies, if you're not passing the faith on to young women of grace, again, who is? And let me tell you, how many of you are thankful for an older woman who passed on her faith? Taught you how to do this. What do women of grace look like? Now we're going to transition into these younger women. Look at what it says here in verse Four. So here's, notice what's happening. This is important. Notice the next two words in verse four. So that... So older women, you have a responsibility because what you do, according to Paul, is going to impact another group in the church so that they, the older ladies, may encourage the young women to love their husbands and to love their 
children. This is an interesting verse because this is the one time where like women in the church are commanded to love their husbands. Generally, love is reserved for the husband. The husband is to love his wife. Number two, here's the second thing that they look like. And this is interesting. I'm going to show you why this matters. Is they look like friends. Women of grace look like friends. Now, you say, I don't see the word friend here in this passage. A couple of interesting features. The word for love here, all right, and you can write this down there to love their husbands and children. The first thing we see, they are to love their husbands and children. The Greek word for loving your husbands and children is not the one we generally consider, which is agape love. That's God's unconditional, sacrificial love. That's reserved for husbands. Husbands, you are to love your wife as Christ loves the church. That means you give up, you sacrifice, you get the least, you give the most for her when she's unlovable. Now what's interesting here is he tells the, the young women of, 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 of Crete, they're to phileo their husbands. Now that doesn't mean fillet them, all right? I know some of you were like, I see what you're getting at, Josh. The Greek word for phileo is friendship love. Now this is why this is important in Crete, because we kind of talk about in our culture about my husband's my best friend. Now remember, you're living in a culture, a patriarchal society. You think women got to choose who they got married to in Crete? No. And what he's saying this, he's like, I want you to learn how to be a friend to your husband and to your children, whom you may not have chosen at all. See, with gentleness and respect, you married your problem. I wrote that in there on purpose. I, I had to give that line today. C.S. Lewis, in his book, Before Loves, he talks about natural affection, what a wife or a mother has for a child. He talks about erotic or romantic love between two lovers. And then he talks about phileo love. And here's how Lewis differs the picture of what they look like. When lovers are in love, they're face-to-face. They're engaged. They're, they're, their gaze is upon one another. When you have friendship love, I mean, it happens between men. They don't gaze into each other's eyes. I got my best friend Andrew downstairs. I don't think we've ever stopped and just looked into each other's eyes in the 10 years of a friendship. But you know what they do? He says the picture, instead of being locked eye to eye, is they stand side by side, shoulder to shoulder. They look out and they say, we have a common objective, a common interest, a common goal. We'll head that way. Now, I'm not saying you should never have romantic love between a married couple, but here's what I do know. God actually wants you to be a friend to your husband where you'll stand side by side and say, I support you through thick and thin and through all your stupidity. <laughs> and then let me tell you this. We can all talk about this. Some of us can be so overbearing. I'm that guy who says, I don't want to be a friend to my child. I want to be a father. And I, and I want to nuance that position now that I've read this text. Because I think we can become so overbearing, we can exasperate the heart and passion out of our children. I was sitting with Scotland the other day. We were out yawning coffee. And Scotland, Scotland has my personality, so it's hard to really rebuke her because I know it's just the little me on the inside screaming out, let me out, let me out. And so she was making noises. Taylors or McGlamleys, we just make noises, random noises. And so she's like, na, 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 na. And I was like, Scotland, stop. And she goes, Dada, I can't. <laughs> and I looked at Mandy, I said, that's what we're here for. 
I want to maintain that authority figure, but let me tell you this, and I know my wife has said this, some of the greatest, closest friendships you can ever have is between a mother and her children. Is when those children know, hey, I'm, hey, I've got your back. I stand side by side with you. Even at times when I tell you no and you've got to stop what you're doing, I will be there for you. I will be your friend. My mom, this past week, uh, I've been trying to train Scotland. My mom always did the same with me when I was young. I'm not going to read this like, little whole poem we would recite to one another. But at the end, it would be essentially me in a competition between me and my mom. Who could say, I love you more always the fastest? And so I'd say, I love you. She'd say, I love you. Or she'd go, I love you more. And I'd say, I love you more. And there was always a race. Who could say, but I love you always. So I was doing it with Scotland. I'm teaching Scotland. Scotland, I love you. I love you, Dada. So I love you more, Scotty. I love you more. Scotland, I love you always. She goes, I love you all days. I shared that with my mom, and my mom sent me this text, and this shows about that friendship type kind of love. She goes, you'll never know how much it blessed my heart when I heard you teaching Scotty love you more and always. I know growing up there were times you thought I was silly saying it, but when you become a parent, you know the true meaning of it. I'll always love you more, son. So proud of you in so many ways, but one of the proudest is watching you be a dad to my granddaughter. Love you, mom. You know what she's still doing? She's still standing by my side. What do women of grace look like? Let's read verse 5. Continuing to be self-controlled, pure, workers at home, calm, and in submission to their husbands. Here's what they look like. They look like homemakers, not home wreckers. They look like homemakers, not home wreckers. Notice what the Holy Spirit, Jesus Christ, God's grace does inside a woman. Number one, or number two now, they are to be self controlled and pure. God's grace makes them sensible, able to control their emotions and passions, and they give themselves to only one man, and that's her husband self-controlled and pure. They are to be homemakers in kind. Number three, they are to be homemakers in kind. Remember context. Paul is addressing women where they are. There's no such thing as a career woman in Crete in this day. Rather than gossiping from house to house or staying home and getting drunk, young women of grace should be working at home. And God is not saying, men, you might need to hear this, that she's supposed to be chained to the kitchen sink with six children chained to her leg. But here's what I do believe God is saying. Ultimately, it takes a woman to make a house a home. And I really believe it. Especially when this word is paired up with kindness. By God's grace, a woman can exhibit God's goodness and gentleness and patience through how they conduct and manage the home. Their children, the father, those on the outside looking in can get a picture of God's grace by how, by, how, by how a woman conducts and manages her household and family. And then number four, they are in submission to their husbands. Submission 
is an often misunderstood concept here in the Bible. To submit is to follow and respect your husband's leadership. I'll, I'll, I'll say it slow because I see a lot of people writing it down. To submit is to follow and respect your husband's leadership even when he doesn't deserve it. All right? Even when he doesn't deserve it. Now, a couple of things. Let me nuance it. This is not saying submission of all women to all men. Who does the text say you're to submit to? Your husband. Your husband. All right? The other thing is this. I want you to know this. Because of Christ's saving death for men and women means that all are equally sinners condemned under God's judgment. But here's also another thing. They're all e- also equal uh, heirs in Christ. Husbands, you need to know this. Your prayers can be hindered by the way you treat your wife. God says, I won't listen to you because she's an equal heir of grace. She has just as much standing with God as you do. And even with this standing, even with this kind of equality, that still shows that Christ has an appointed role for the husband as the leader who leads sacrificially and loving, even when the wife's unlovable. And then it also shows the role of the woman who has to submit, respect, and follow her husband even when he doesn't deserve it. So there's still equality, but there is a difference in how it's expressed in the home. And then I want you to listen to this. It's not submission if you're made to submit. Okay? Husbands, we need to understand that more. The, the, the command is from the Lord saying, I want you to submit. So this submission is ultimately unto who? The Lord. Okay? I don't, I'm not the Lord of Amanda. All right? I know that's news. <laughs> but I'm not. It's under the Lord. And unless your husband, and here's where it gets back to you, ladies, unless your husband asks you to do something unbiblical, illegal, immoral, or unethical, what Paul is saying here, follow him. Follow him. And you say, Do you know my husband? <laughs> And I'll just reply, do you know God's grace? And I mean that with gentleness and respect. His grace can make me go, hmm, he can give me the strength to deal with this guy. All right? So what? Why are we doing all this? Why talk about God's grace infiltrating the lives of older women, then older women infiltrating the lives of younger women? What's the whole purpose of doing it? Read the last of verse 5 with me. He says this, so that God's word will not be slandered. Ooh, this has, a, this has a function for it. It's not just arbitrary. God's commands are not arbitrary. He has a reason. He wants the family set up this way. Paul now reveals God's ultimate purpose in giving these instructions to women of grace. The purpose is so that no one, those who are lost, those who are unbelievers, those who are seeking God on the outside looking in, when they look and say, so what makes a woman of grace different than the rest of the world? They will not be able to discredit or speak lightly of Jesus Christ. They have to sit there and go, there must be something about this Jesus because do you see how he's revealed himself in her? He's changed her. 
She loves her husband. She loves her children. She follows his leadership. She's got her passions and appetites under control. She's not given over to addictions. In fact, she's passing her faith along to the younger women and to her children. Women of grace have a huge impact on those who don't know Jesus. They're looking at you. They're examining your life and really trying to find out, is this biblical marriage really better? Is this biblical child-rearing really better? Is a Christian home really better? Ladies, you have the immense task of answering them with a resounding yes, by God's grace it is. That's laid on you. Your personal life, your marriage, and your home is a mission field. And I don't just mean for those who are inside it. I'm saying the world is watching. When those who do not know Jesus in a saving way see a self-professing woman, a woman of grace live after the standards of the unbelieving world and not God's standards, they have every reason to despise Jesus. What do women of grace ultimately look like? And you should know this by now and write this down. Women of grace make much of Jesus. They don't, want, they don't ever, by God's grace, they don't want to ever be an occasion for outsiders to malign or despise or reject their Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Can we say this to you this morning? Can we not thank God for women sitting in this room who's helped us make much of Jesus. If you have a mom today who has led you to faith, you need to make much of her because she's made much of Jesus. And then here's the other thing that I want to challenge you with. Some of you read that list, and that list can do one of two things. When you see all the things that God expects out of womanhood and motherhood, you can despise it. You can sit there and go, man, there's nothing, I can't do that. And you walk out of here in despair. Remember, I wanted to preface it by reading verse 11. God's grace has appeared. God's help has come onto the scene. You're not alone. Please, I beg you today, God would receive no greater joy this Mother's Day if you bent your knee in dependence and said, Jesus, I need your help to become the woman that you've described in your word. But then the other thing is this, with gentleness and respect, for those, you may read this list and kind of swell with pride, going, I've got this down. I need you to know every good gift comes from above. And the reason you've been able to do this ultimately is because of God's goodness in your life. And so ultimately, as we honor our mothers, this naturally leads us to honor God himself. I'm going to ask every head bowed, every eye closed. <laughs> Thanks for listening to Mount Carmel Baptist Church's weekly Sunday worship service message. Mount Carmel is located in Demarest, Georgia. Please join us this Sunday at 11 a.m. To plan your visit, go to mtcarmeldemarest.com.